C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood. Welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yerke. Boy, oh boy, guests. Do we have a treat. The most, truly the most esteemed guests today. Yeah, the other times we were lying, but this time it's actually true. Um, So (laughs) we are joined by Ash Amber J., so amazing. You have probably heard us wax poetic about her on the podcast before. She has an amazing umbrella of projects all under the Middle Finger Project, which we'll go into. And she recently wrote a book that's coming out on February 11th. We're really excited. So definitely check that out. We'll plug all the things at the end. But welcome, Ash. Woo! Thanks, girls. Like, and uh, seriously, like, you killed my last name. Good job. <laughs> I did not it. secretly Google it and heard someone else pronounce it on YouTube before this. Well, <laughs> so for years, Ash, like, when I first, you know, drank all your Kool Aid, I would hear like r- other people pronounce your name, and I'd be like, they're saying it wrong. I know how it's pronounced, <laughs> and I was wrong. And then finally, I was talking with somebody. Um, Oh, maybe it was Carolyn Mays. I don't know who it was. And they were like, it's Amber Shane. I was like, I have been saying it wrong for years and judging people. So anyway. I mean, there's a surprise at the end of this rainbow. Not many people know that I personally changed the pronunciation of my name. So it sounds like that. You think people are just born with Amber Shane? No way. Yeah. Uh, That's amazing. Awesome funny backstory of how that happened oh. and I won't even go into it now but <laughs> it originally was Amber's and I was like that's disgusting it sounds like Hamburg yeah that's that's awesome. how I you you win you win all the all but the like words. technically you win so it's all yeah. good because you were you <laughs> it well, does make me feel better because I'm like maybe I did hear it said said that way at some point and it was not just me making it up in my head so excellent oh, it's all good off to a great start yeah. well Ash before we jump into our segments um you have so many projects, so much esteem. If you wouldn't mind um, just to place for our listeners to place you in the millennial spectrum, if you could share what year you were born, where you grew up, and what you're doing with your life now. Yeah, I'm the ancient millennial born in 1984, Woo! baby. Woo! You and me, Shay, right? Same year? Yeah, exactly. Also in Pennsylvania. So We've got a lot in common. Pennsylvania. I forgot about that. Okay, mm-hmm. we're practically related. I know, basically. Yes, 1984. I actually was, I was born outside of Philadelphia, but my mom made the fantastic decision to bring us north of Scranton. Grew up in this rural, very small town, 96 kids, one stoplight in the whole county. So that's where I'm at. I'm I'm like the, uh, the veteran millennial, if you will. Yes. <laughs> Love That's it. awesome. And what are you doing now? We mentioned the book, but what sort of other things do you do for work and fun? I, I mean, I usually like to tell people that I'm a zoologist first just to see their reaction because usually I'm walking around with, like giant pearls, like dangling around. And then they're like, really? And I'm like, no, you fuck. I'm not a zoologist. <laughs> I run a company called The Middle Finger Project. Of course yes. I do. The Middle Finger Project is the name of the book as well as the company that I've had for 11 years years now and it's for anyone who's sitting there going like god i know i want to do something different with my work and my life but what that's the question that we answer every single day in all sorts of ways with all sorts of foul language and what sort of stuff do you have i know you have a blog you have a newsletter you have courses if you can give us a brief overview of what people can expect when they go to your website or google you Yeah, so we're coming out with something new in honor of the book launch that I'm kind of pumped about, and it's called The Quit Your Job Store, and I thought this was hysterical because that's really what the Middle Finger Project has been about the entire time, but um, when you see The Quit Your Job Store, all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, I need that. That's exactly what I need, whereas The Middle Finger Project is a little bit like, like, is is that like just an angry feminist girl? I I don't know. (laughs) 
Uh, so we're coming out with that as like the store that will be supplemental to the work that we do that's with our own content and publishing different articles on this topic. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And everything will be housed under the Quit Your Job store. Very cool. Love it. Can't wait to dig more into that. Yeah. All right. Shay, do you have a toasty campfire hot topic for us? I, I do. And it's so funny because a friend of mine, actually former guest of the pod, Terrence Bodine, sent me this link like two weeks ago. And being a jerk, I didn't read it until today. And it's the perfect topic for Ash uh, to have to discuss with us. So um, this was an article on Medium uh, by a woman named Emily Kirkpatrick. And it's called the title was why I quit my full-time writing job over a viral tweet. Mm. So Emily is more of a, I'd say a regular millennial, not quite as ancient as us, but um, she talks about how she was working at the New York Post in the fashion department. She was getting paid great money to kind of like write all of these like ridiculous things and, you know, and monitor the feeds and make sure everything was getting hits and getting seen, et cetera, et cetera. And then they had published a piece in um, the main part of the paper that was called How Millennials Have Killed the Manhattan Power Lunch. And she basically blasted off this tweet that said, we've killed the Manhattan Power Lunch because millennials don't get more than half an hour to have lunch. And really, they're not even supposed to take it. They're supposed to like eat a sandwich at their desk and be grateful they're allowed to eat a sandwich at their desk. So she goes on about how she was like pulled into the office and given the choice of either resigning or, um, yeah, yeah. So or they were upset the about that tweet. Oh, they were so upset with her, and it so racy it was. I know, right? So racy. What? So it talks about this whole story, but oh. she ultimately quit because she realized that she was had been hired for her voice as a writer but also hired to edit out her own voice. Mm. And she's like, I'm not okay with this. So she ended up quitting and uh, that's really the gist of the piece. So I just thought it was interesting given our, what we're going to talk about today with Ash, uh, both as a writer and someone who, as she just said, has a, <laughs> has a podcast or will have a program called the quit your job, quit the quit your job store. Yes, I got it. Yes, so, yes. um, yeah, so that's, that was my, oh. my campfire topic now for the I'm, day. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Now I'm thinking about my racy tweet from last night where I compared the Kansas city chief head coach to Scruffy from Futurama, which is a very <laughs> niche reference, but well, if the Kansas city chiefs coach calls you up, we'll fire, fire you. Kansas girl. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Ash, what are your thoughts? I mean, the other day, someone just told me about Trevor Noah. How did I not know about Trevor Noah? Yes. Oh, my gosh. And so I That was a big thing when thing. he was, like, in the running for the Jon Stewart position. But then it kind of fizzled. I don't really know what happened. I don't know where I was. I have no yeah. clue. But I didn't know about him until just the other day. So I tweeted out, like, something along the lines of, like, how did I never know about Trevor Noah? My vagina! <laughs> like, all these exclamation points, because that's all I could think of. Like, my vagina is now throbbing because Trevor Noah, I watched every video. Yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> every one of them! Yeah. yeah so I, I would be fired, like, fired about 100 times just for a good measure. No one could employ me now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I always go back to my one of my favorite books, John Ronson, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. And mm -hmm. he talks a lot about this, that there's there's a degree where someone puts themselves out publicly, like a Trevor Noah, where you, they're basically, you can say whatever you want about them. But it seems like this woman, even though she was a writer working for a publication, she wasn't mm -hmm. a known person and wasn't really putting herself out there as a personality, I'm assuming. Yeah. And, well, and those the are the people just... in that like band where they're just mm -hmm. famous enough where they might have a little bit of a following and something to lose. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, so, really, really famous people say whatever all the time and nothing bad happens yeah. to them. They're not going to get fired. I mean, and I think it was interesting because it was just her like personal Twitter account, but she got 96,000 retweets on it. And that was when they got mad. And she was like, because they're you know, jealous. you idiots, this is why you hire me, not just to write, like, this is what I do for you all day, every day, is I write the content that it get, then gets the retweets, and I, you know, so, but I just thought that was so interesting as someone who creates content, like, at what point when you're writing for somebody else, is it too much? Is it, have you edited away too much of what makes you special? 
I mean, in that case, the company should have absolutely taken that as an incredible PR opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, they were upset, if I'm understanding this, because she's an employee and she's essentially making them look bad. Exactly. She's saying, like, look, like, all right, I got like five minutes to eat lunch here at my desk. Yeah. Yeah. And so they didn't like that because that they think that that makes, you know, makes them look bad. Mm-hmm. But if they were smart about it, if she had all of these retweets, yeah. it was a great opportunity for them to come in and be like, oh, you know what? I'm really glad you brought this to our attention. Mm-hmm. This is an important topic. Let's work together to renovate our policy around this or whatever. Yeah. They could have come out the stars had they done that right mm-hmm. and had all of that positive press. Now it's just gone to hell because now it's absolute, like now they look bad. Like they've covered yeah. it up. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Anyway. Oh, this is actually a perfect segue. It's almost as if Shay and I planned this in advance, which we did not. Almost, we never do. which we didn't. Um, my hot topic. So I read this article in The New Yorker. Um, last week and then the Super Bowl was this weekend and there's always lots of brand and commercials and stuff so I've been fascinated and I feel like it's a very millennial topic about brand Twitter so this is where like a social media person at a company runs a company Twitter so like Mm -hmm. I don't know the Popeyes Twitter that was one recently where they were like popping off against Chick-fil-A so this article is about how New Jersey's Twitter found its big state energy the at New Jersey Gov account turns Garden State trivia into fire tweets with a mix of millennial nostalgia and Gen Z slang. So they focus on these two guys that work for the New Jersey governor's office, and they're like oh just God. two normal guys. And they basically go through Twitter and like try to find viral stuff, and they've had a few good tweets. Um, but I'm just fascinated by this because I think it's totally millennial, and I feel like it's kind of especially the younger kids like look at it with kind of an eye rolly thing and some companies I think really lean into that and then some companies are like we're really cool and we're trying to do the cool thing and it ends up being very not cool so I'm just fascinated by the whole thing these are two guys that actually do work in one of the offices for the state of New Jersey and they're just randos tweeting other random things so they they tweet from so there's the handle at njgov which is the New Jersey governor's Twitter handle and obviously the governor himself is not tweeting so there's two people in the communications department in Trenton or whatever and part of their job is running this Twitter account so they'll just like respond to people's tweets they'll look and be like oh this today in history was the battle of Princeton and then they'll find some like funny way to hearken it back or they've gotten into like Twitter battles with like the state of Pennsylvania Twitter before to talk about like which state is better (laughs) Um, clearly Pennsylvania. So they're like trying to be very relevant. Um, so I just think it's funny, but I think about like the Super Bowl where the Mr. Peanut advertisement, I don't know if we saw this, like they did this whole PR campaign where they were tweeting that Mr. Peanut died. And then during the Super oh, Bowl, no. they had the hashtag baby nut where they had a baby peanut birth during <laughs> the commercial. And I was like, has this gone too far? I don't know. That's hysterical. I, I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> I mean, clearly, first. we're talking about it. We're giving Mr. Peanut free advertisements right now. They should be paying sure, us. Right. <laughs> um, I thought you were saying that, and I thought this in my head. This would be genius if you had a like a brand Twitter account, like for example, New Jersey, which is just great, and you humanized it, where you had, you know, maybe you did have like this guy who you know works in the <laughs> the government office and then you had kind of like, pull back the curtain like break the fourth mm-hmm. wall kind of thing on like who's actually tweeting i mean maybe but maybe they're characters i mean maybe maybe you have like you don't know the gardener because it's the garden state uh, of new jersey and you have like the gardener and then you have like the, the lifeguard down at the jersey shore or something and these are these characters and they all tweet out different things but in their own characters i think that'd be great yeah <laughs> uh, representing new jersey but there's so much opportunity to get creative with that i wish they would do that more yeah yeah well new Jer- state of new jersey leading the way other states step up <laughs> I mean, that would maybe encourage me to get back on Twitter to watch all the the Didn't states. You just banter. get back on Twitter. So for Ash and our listeners' benefit, yeah, Shay is very anti-Twitter. But then she got a Twitter for like literally two days, and then I have not seen or heard from her on Twitter since. It's because I am I'm very overwhelmed by content I, right now. I probably need to go back to the many courses I've purchased from the Middle Finger Project <laughs> over the years. <laughs> And do a little refresher course because I have uh, 
you know, my my like Shake Eats content machine and then I have my work and then I'm advising clients and I'm just like, this is a lot to think about. So yeah, I'm but happy I don't... if anybody gets content on any given day. So I don't really tweet that often. My great tweet about Scruffy from Futurama, <laughs> that was a rare occurrence. I tweet like yeah. maybe once every like quarter it's got to be something Mm -hmm. that i think is like really really good but i use it to lurk and like read news and stuff so i don't think there's a pressure if you don't want to to perform yeah that's true wow you guys are the opposite i am such a like just fan you have a very good twitter and you really engage with the fans i love you know why i like it i like it because i feel like it's hang on this is about to get deep let's take it wait because I feel like, you know, growing up in this trailer park in rural Pennsylvania, everything had to be kind of a show. But the one place where my ideas were the things that were front and center and not my background and where I grew up was on a piece of paper mm-hmm. because paper was paper was paper. And so then you had words and those words and those ideas were the things that were there. And I felt like words are just such a great equalizer in that respect, it doesn't matter where you're from. If you've got an idea and you can put that down on paper, you can share that and that earns you respect and a reputation. Mm-hmm. So that's why I like Twitter because I don't have to deal with the nonsense of putting on another mask on something like Instagram and making that the star where, where the words can just be the focus. That is yeah. so beautiful. That's literally why. Well, that's you just sold me on Twitter, I feel. so. <laughs> I mean, Twitter um, can be a cesspool. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but... You can hire us. <laughs> you yeah. can this episode. Well, I Love think it. this is, Ash, do you have a toasty campfire topic? If not, I think this is a good transition into the interview. But Well, you know point. what I will say? I saw, have you guys seen Taylor Swift's Americana oh. yet? Did I watch it literally five minutes after it dropped on Netflix? It. Yes. I just Love saw it last night. I, I, I said maybe four times, like a maniac. I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen! Oh, my God. What is the big takeaway? What was the big takeaway for you from Miss Americana? I had many, I feel. I feel like Shay, you're going to, so we've talked about Taylor Swift on this podcast before. I love her music and Shay and I actually lived together when 1989 came out and that was was a very formative album. One of her best for sure. Um, But I've never been like a huge fan of hers and I thought what was so interesting about the documentary was seeing the behind the scenes and how especially now that she's like diving into politics and stuff like how much she does rely on her mom and her team around her and she has this support system like it definitely humanized her in a way for me because I always I was on the camp of like I love her music but she's kind of fake and definitely leaning too into the Kanye stuff but after the documentary I was like no I see her I see what she's doing I I dig it so it definitely raised my opinion of her Mm. yeah I was I was inspired by her humanity that she showed. I was also really into the greater conversation that she brought to the table of, okay, well, you have two options here. You can pander to the general population and you can say nothing. And her sitting there in those meetings with her parents and her managers and they were saying, you can't say anything about Donald Trump. You cannot. You've never done it. You can't take the risk. And her sitting there saying, this is not about politics. This at this point is about right and wrong. Yeah. It's about right and wrong. And that gave me chills. And it was so true because this is a question that comes up a lot in online business and the online world. It's like, well, how, you know, how far do you go with your own opinions versus keeping it professional? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It definitely gave me more of an appreciation. She seemed much more self-aware and I think she has matured. Like, we're, I think mm-hmm. we have this picture of Taylor Swift in our mind when she was 17. That was something crazy. Like, the Kanye yeah. West incident happened when she was 17. She was so young. And I feel Aww, like that frame of how she was then is how we see her now. But, like, no, she's, like, almost 30. She's a grown-ass woman. She's, like, doing her own thing. And I think we've never seen that side of her because you only see the music. And some of her music, I think she you know, she's evolved and she's kind of reinvented herself a couple of times, but it is pop music, which does skew a little bit younger. And I don't think that was appreciated, at least not on my part until I saw the documentary. And I love her cat too. 
So cute. I know. <laughs> cat was cute. You realize that if you asked me, I mean, this is when you know you're getting old. If you asked yeah. me when that Kanye incident happened, I would have absolutely told you two to three years ago. Yeah, uh, me I too. I would have done the same. Literally. Absolutely. I was like, that was 10 years ago. Can you believe? Oh, my God. That's crazy. That? I, don't, I don't know. I, I actually don't. I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. It's impossible. It's like actually insane. And I also didn't. I appreciated that she talked about. Sorry, Shay, we're giving you like all the spoilers, but no, whatever. No, fine. I love spoilers, um, as you know. She was talking about her body image issues and how she got maligned in the press for being too skinny, which was something that she always kind of brushed off. And now she finally acknowledged that it was a thing. I thought that was really good. Oh, Oh, cool. Yeah, Yeah, I liked that, too. And I I will say that seeing this very vulnerable human side of her, it wasn't about Taylor Swift for me. It was about... The message that this movie is going to bring to all young women everywhere to be like, you know what? She is a real person. And that means yeah. if she's a real person and she's gotten to this far, I mean, I can do it too. And that piece for me was the best part of this entire yeah. series. I was like, oh, okay, good. Thank you. You're not, Yes, you brought yourself down to, to human level. And that's just so inspiring for other people. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Definitely. I think that is also an excellent segment into the interview. Um I think you touched upon it a little bit, your background and how you got here and having a fancy book deal in your own company and stuff. Obviously, this did not happen overnight and there were many steps along the way. So maybe if you want to start and give us kind of your five second rundown of what, how did you start the Middle Finger Project? What does it represent to you? What was kind of the impetus for it? Did you say five second rundown? Yeah, I think that's <laughs> more, more than five like seconds. Hundred and five seconds. Just maybe. where where's the beginning of all of this for you? Yeah, <laughs> the inspiration. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 this has been a lifelong project. It, when you do come from this rural trailer park in the middle of rural Pennsylvania with a mom who has clinical social anxiety, can't leave the house. I mean, won't go into the auditorium to watch you play volleyball because she's nervous. She's not going to know where to sit, and people are going to laugh at her. You grow up never really seeing work modeled for you. And that for me became this fascination where I wanted to know what was it to live a life um, that feels good and do work you're proud of. And I didn't see that. So Mm -hmm. that for me has been the journey this entire time. It's the thread that has gone through everything that I've done from that point in time to the next move that I made, you know, going to the city and trying to effectively create the middle class project which is right, like definitely what I was doing before the middle finger project. Yeah. And and then discovering eventually that normal was the most disappointing thing that ever happened to me. And so what do you do now? And how do you keep going back to answer this question over and over again? What does it mean to do work you're proud of and, and live a life you, you actually want to be living? Mm-hmm. That's the thread of the book, of the work, of everything that I've done. And it, yeah. Yeah. The beginning, the middle, the end. So how did you did you have a full-time job and quit? How did you get to writing? What When was the point where you said, I'm now writing full-time, I'm creating content full-time? <laughs> it was a very long process, right? Like, so you go to Philadelphia. My mom dies when I'm 21. I was still in college. So at this point, it's like, okay, let's sell the trailer. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to go to Philly and I'm going to become a CEO, and I'm going to have lemon pepper chicken, and there's going to be poppy seed bagels. I love the lemon pepper chicken in the book. Yeah, we'll get great. to the book in yeah. a second, but loved it. Right. It was great. Right? It's like my thing. It really still, <laughs> it still represents for me middle class, like upper middle class, and mm-hmm. staircases in a two-car garage, and that was just the dream. And so you do what, what you're supposed to do. And for me, it was very much about following every single rule that I could and doing it as perfectly as I could because I didn't have a fallback plan and perfect was my insurance policy. So I go to the city, I become a marketing assistant, I get a job working at a very small company that actually instilled a lot of trust in me and that was wonderful until it wasn't, until the you know the disillusion sets in and then I move to the next job and now I'm doing advertising sales. And at some point you just keep asking yourself, you know, I know that I'm going to work every day, but what have I actually done? What, what have I actually done here? You know, and, and you should feel proud. You got up today. You went to work. You finished the day. You didn't call out sick. Great. But then what? Yeah. Um, so for me, there were a series of things that started happening. But one of the things that was so obvious to me, every time I would try to be creative in my work and you know, creativity for me, as I just indicated with writing, uh, has been 
my way of expressing myself all of this time. So it's natural for me to go into a position, any job, and try to apply that to do a good job. It was discouraged so highly. And it was very much like, listen, we don't want you to do anything crazy. Follow the rules and the instructions yeah. that we set out for you. And they weren't effective. The things that we were doing, it was a waste of everyone's time. And it was so discouraging seeing that, you know, success. Like I went from making $30,000 a year, which I negotiated up from 28000 Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. To then making my first $40,000 a year to then like, you know, 42 to maybe 48 something like that. I could put as many things in my target card as I wanted to. Yeah. And getting there. And, um, you know, I, I think that that traditional success for me ended up lacking real imagination and wit and, and creativity and originality. That was the piece for me that was like, okay, I need to do something on my own because I think I will shrivel up and die if I do not. That was the emphasis for me to start figuring out how to freelance. And there was a whole journey for that to happen, but that was really the cause of it. And, you know, we won't make you retell all the stories from the book um, here on the podcast, but I think listeners that you will really enjoy picking up the book and and seeing what this journey was like. Um, and, you know, I loved the story about the shingles. I thought that was such a cool, a cool thing where, sh you know, you can tell it yourself, I guess I won't. I won't, yeah. I won't paraphrase it here for you, but you know, where you had an opportunity to do something creative and maybe you looked a little bit silly doing it, but who came out on top? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So who came out yeah. on top? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the shingles were a funny, great example of this in yeah. advertising yeah. sales. Uh, you know, the goal is to get people to accept your appointment and you're sitting there and they give you a giant list and you're supposed to cold call these random businesses and say, hi, you know, hello, sir. Do you, can I have a moment of your time? La 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 and try to get an appointment. This, this doesn't work. Yeah. Nobody wants that. That's, that's the least pleasurable thing for anybody in the whole wide world. But that's what the company knew. And that's what they were encouraging us to do. And finally I said, you know, there's gotta be a better way. I would prefer it very much if these people were calling me instead. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> right? You're like, what a novel concept. I feel yeah. like this is what I, I love about your work. And I've subscribed to your newsletter. Shay turned me on to it. And it's it's the same in the newsletter as in the book where the you have a way of being like, this is how it should be. Like, why? It's almost like we're living in this, like, crazy town. Like, that's how I felt when I was reading the book. I was like, yeah, why does not everyone? Mm -hmm. Like, this is so obvious when you put it that way that's so awesome but like somehow people don't want to think outside the box and I think about that there was I think the chapter in the book that really resonated for me was thinking about self-promotion and people that really downplay their achievements and I think that's something that you yeah. do so well so can you perhaps Thank talk you. to that you're welcome how how you cultivated that where does it come from and what your advice is to people who have a business, have a side project, and they're not getting any traction on it and don't have that comfortable feeling or confidence to go out and talk to people about what they're doing or actively market themselves. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's weird how I look back and, and look at every single step in my career trajectory and see how every single one of those steps absolutely serves me now in ways that I could have never predicted then. So even if you have a junk job now, take heart. <laughs> the things you are learning along the way will be useful later. And so for me, learning how to sell a product to another human being, that wasn't my product. That wasn't me was a very useful exercise because it was for a lot of money and I had to get comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. Um, but one of the things that was great about it is that the magazine I worked for, the magazine actually produced results for clients. So it was easy for me to go into any meeting and say, Hey, you would be crazy not to do this legitimately yeah. because you're going to spend X, but you're going to make Y. And here's how I know. Here are your competitors nearby. Here are their numbers. Let's take a look. We'll blank out their names, but let's actually look at what they're doing and that you're not. I mean, right? So yeah. coming from that mentality of like, okay, this is helpful. Selling is helpful. I'm helping people legitimately with something. And then also selling them something that I didn't have any authority to negotiate the rate on. I couldn't. Yeah, the rate yeah. was the rate that was the rate. So there wasn't any of that weird anxiety inside mm -hmm. of me. 
And I took that, carried over into when I first started freelancing as a freelance writer because I was just very well well versed in the idea that this is the rate and this is going to be helpful for you. And what you're talking about in that chapter is this idea that like, you know, Yes, the gosh, hot dog. Such a good oh, one. We've talked about that on the podcast so much. So genius. Yes. If you oh, wouldn't mind you. describing it to our listeners. Of money. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Gosh, it's, it's like we put so much pressure around ourselves, especially as women. We're taught as women that uh, we should be givers. And that's what everyone says, right? When some, when a woman dies, for example, all we hear is like, oh God, she was so selfish and mm-hmm. she, she gave to her kids and she stayed late and she gave and she gave. And so when we ask someone for money, it's, it's, we have to take it, right? <laughs> so there's weird, weird fuckery that happens in our brains. Yeah. That's why I talk about the hot dog theory of money. Cause I'm like, let's simplify this for a second. If you were a hot dog vendor on the Jersey shore and some guy comes up to you and wants to buy a hot dog and asks you how much it costs, you are not going to stand there and be like, well, I mean, Normally it's 275, but I can tell that uh, you're going through a hard time, and so that's negotiable. And um, I mean, you know, what did you have a budget for your hot dog? <laughs> None of, it's so silly when you put it that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. We always do that before the client even has a chance to even say anything. We start talking and assuming that our money story is their money story. So when you think about a hot dog, it's like okay, the the price of a hot dog is the price for a reason. And we understand very intuitively that, okay, there's the cost of production, there's the cost of packaging, there's the cost of shipping, there's the cost of storing it. Now the person selling the hot dogs has to make a profit. All of these things we really get. Um, But we don't understand that, that on the same level when it comes to pricing ourselves and our services. And profit is not something that we like to add in. Profit feels like we're taking away from somebody else. But unless you're planning on starting a nonprofit, <laughs> yeah. profit's got to be a line item. But it's not any different than the hot dog. All you have to do is say, hello, I am selling hot dogs. Here's how much they cost. Would you like one? Yeah. <laughs> And the enthusiasm I, is important too. Exactly. And I think those were, again, two things that really popped out for me in the book, this idea that you were kind of chastised for being friendly and open and interested. Oh my God, interested in the people who are about to give you tens of thousands of dollars. <laughs> um, but ultimately that you were rewarded for that. And I think that we so often forget, particularly as women, that we can be interested and warm and giving and helpful but be compensated for that or be valued for that. And, and I loved that, um, that correlation that you really pointed out. Thank you. You, know, you know, yes, that scene that you're talking about here where I, we had a regional manager who would come in, he would fly in to your market at random and then just mm-hmm. pop into your office one morning and be like, hi, I'm here to go on a ride along with so-and-so. It was a surprise. He did that to me. I had a very big meeting that day. It was going to be huge. Maybe my biggest account yet. And there I am in like my two-door Scion TC. We get in the car, I start the engine, and like rap music starts blasting the speakers. I'm oh, like, oh no! My God. So not prepared for this. We drive in the most awkward silence to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is like an hour-long drive. Mm-hmm. Get there. There's all of these people around a conference table. But one of the benefits of being from a small town is that you understand how to talk to people like actual human beings. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I did just by default. I got there to the table like, hi, everybody, how's you? You know, how are you doing? I don't put on airs and I never did then. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's playing I'm to just... your strengths and thinking about what you actually like and what you're good at, which is another, I think, theme throughout your work of does this actually feel good? Am I actually good at it? Have people, <laughs> do I just feel like I'm good at it because that's the expectation? Is this like a natural strength? I think mm-hmm. people forget that and they don't do that introspective work. And I think the through theme throughout the book too is just telling people that they're worth it. People don't think that they're worth like quitting a job, starting a business. They're like, well, that's for people who have more money or people who come from money or people who have more time on their hands, all those kinds of things. I think the book just completely turns that on its head, obviously from your background, which you've talked about, but even, even that notwithstanding, it's like everyone's worthy of having a life that they actually want to live. I think that's the the thesis that I took away from it. Gosh, yes, yes, absolutely. And that's when I wasn't, 
it's like, I mean, I'm sitting there talking to these people and to what end? I don't know. Right. So I'm here just to make some big company a lot of money. And, you know, uh, the worst thing that could have possibly happened that day happened. It never happened. <laughs> I actually won awards in the nation for getting the most amount of contracts signed on first meeting because yeah. it's kind of a longer sales process. And that wasn't that typical that you just swan in and get all these contracts signed. Oh my. But the expectation was that I would. And so yeah. at the end of the meeting, you know, they said to me, um, you know, the kiss of death, like, okay, well. <laughs> No, we'll think about it and let you know. And then my regional manager and I walked out, got in the car. I'm mortified because I've just failed. I'm like thinking he's going to report me. It's going to go on my permanent record somehow, some way. And he did. That's the moment when he said to me, um, you know, Ash, I really think you need to tone it down in there. You're not here to make friends. You're here to make money. Oh, like The Bachelor. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Not here to make friends. <laughs> That's what it reminds me. Yes! And I was so ashamed of my voice, of who I was, uh, uh, you know, feeling like I had to stifle that in order to be accepted by him and to be successful in life. And I was mortified and just really, really humiliated. And then we drove five do minutes down the road, and then the client called me, and I answered, just holding my breath, like, oh, God. And uh, they were like, you know what? We love you so much. We're just going to do it now. And can we make it double? Yeah. And I just looked at this guy afterwards. I was like, doo, doo, doo. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right. But That's that amazing. was a perfect example of how creativity yeah. can help you in the workplace get ahead and stand out. And people respond to your genuine enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. It's so I true. I genuine. Your writing is like there's no email newsletter. Everyone should, if you take one thing away from this podcast, you should sign up. Mm -hmm. Where can yeah. people sign up for your Agreed. newsletter? Cause it is just such a nice, refreshing taste in my inbox. Thank you. It's just the middle finger project.org or .com or .co or whatever one you want to attach to the end of it. We love if you it. Google the middle finger project, you'll see some interesting things, but you will also see my website. Yes. Awesome. Well, it's, Perfect. It, it is very refreshing. And I think you have a very unique style because it is you like the way that, this is the first time we're meeting and talking like the way that you're talking now is the way that you write. It's not this weird, <laughs> like newsletter speak. If that yeah. makes, you know what I mean? It's not like through a filter. No affectation. Yeah. And thank you. I really love that. And I'm interested too. Yeah. So you're on this journey, you're freelancing, you're living your best life. When do you decide, Hey, I want to write a book and pitch it to a legit publisher and do the thing because we have a lot of people on this podcast who tell incredible stories and we're always like you should write a book you should tell your story and people are like yeah. no 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 I could never do that so I'm interested actual published author how did you go about how doing it, how it shakes down yeah I have the best story for that oh, you're gonna yes. die when you hear it you're gonna die I'm gonna have to take over for you guys because you're both gonna be dead oh honestly. no we will bequeath yeah. the podcast well, we, to yes, you it's all yours Ash <laughs> camp adulthood it's in our wills so remember a minute ago, we just talked about the fact that I was like, you know, I think my life would be better if I had these clients calling me instead of me mm -hmm. calling them. Yeah. So effectively, that's what a blog does for you and any kind of content. It's inbound marketing. It gets people's attention and they start showing up in your inbox instead because yeah. now you've actually stood yeah. stood there and said, hey, here are my ideas. Hey, do you want to buy my hot dog? Yeah. And, um, that's true. Like Shay and I sliding in the emails to be on <laughs> yep. this podcast. Yes. Uh, yes. I love I, it. Thank you. Thank you. This is wonderful. This is a great example. Yeah. Um, we are the but, same as Penguin Random House. <laughs> Equally listen, esteemed. This is a huge <laughs> no. Do you know how many people would kill? The, they don't know how to get on a single podcast. And yeah. I have this amazing luxury to know so many cool people from around the world yeah. doing interesting things who so generously want me to be a part of it. This is this is what it's all about. I love this part of it. Yay. Uh, but like that's what happened with Penguin and, and the book. So originally in 2013, my literary agent came to me and found me in my inbox. Mm -hmm. And she was like, hey, are you writing a book? What are you doing over there? Yeah. And that was the first example of that. And we had some conversations, but I wasn't ready because we were doing some other things at the time. And so I signed with the literary agency in t October of 2015. Mm -hmm. 
we signed with Penguin Random House in March of 2018. Yeah. I love, by the way, I don't know where people can find it, but it was in the newsletter. You had a timeline of like all of your, I don't know if it was Slack messages, but it was like a prolonged timeline of like writing the book. That was awesome. Yeah, I track all my time. Yeah. I track every single hour I spend uh. because I have OCD with that and I like to see where my best return is coming from. Yeah, I love so, that. Yeah, it's weird. It's creepy, but I, I've been in the habit well, for so long. It's funny right now because I'm working with a bunch of accountants who all have like PTSD from tracking their time. And I'm like, no, it can be a good thing to know where you're spending your time. And they're all coming out with like battered accountant syndrome. And they're like, I'm never tracking an hour again. <laughs> I'm like, all right, just come back in six months and we'll talk again. So anyway. it's fascinating. I would never yeah. know. It takes me on average two to three hours to write and publish a single blog post. That's I would so never even guess. That. Yeah. It's, it's, it's forever. That takes forever. Mm-hmm. And you got to plan that out. Otherwise I'd be like, yeah, yeah, sure. I can do all these things in my to-do list today. Mm-hmm. Nope. Not actually yeah, in the real yeah. world. But anyway, so that this, this happened, signed with the literary agency. And then as we are working on the proposal together, because that's the first step, you start developing essentially a business plan for a book, all the things that you would need to pitch a major publisher to be like, Hey, here's why you should publish it. And we should split the profits kind of thing. Um, and while we were doing that and working on sample chapters, an acquisitions editor from Penguin Random House, which is my dream publisher, yeah. showed up in my inbox without even knowing I was represented, didn't call Lisa. She mm-hmm. showed up in my inbox again. This is just another example. She was like, hey, girl, here's a Ryan Gosling gif. When are we <laughs> publishing a book together? Oh, my God. And I was like, I love that. Oh, my God. I'm writing what I'm trying. I am. Wait for me. I'm, it's coming. I promise. I'll send it to you. Like, ah. It took another year before the proposal was ready. Mm-hmm. But here's the part that's going to make you die. Um, <laughs> oh, no. I'm already <laughs> dead. Yeah. Along the way in this process, my literary agent and I had this idea. We wanted this book to be the perfect blend between what you'd categorize as self-help, business, and memoir. Mm -hmm. And I wanted this to be – because, right, like if I just sat down to write a typical business book or self-help book, the people that really need to read this book probably aren't going to read it. So I wanted this to have this story element that was fun to read and a bit entertaining and, yes, commercial. Mm-hmm. So that was Lisa's and I vision. But we had pitched that to a couple of other her peers because this is just a thing that they do. Like, oh, I know this editor here and this editor here and these people at our agency have opinions and ideas. And they were all of the mind that, no, this is a terrible idea because publishers need to be able to categorize you in one section and one oh, section only. That's so dumb because look at, yeah. regardless of individual feelings about her, look at Rachel Hollis. She does that. She writes business books and memoir all the time. And she's wildly popular. Yes, so. yes, indeed. Indeed. And so it was kind of like, it has to be one or the other. And um, what ended up happening was, I started working with a couple of editors who really liked the story side. They liked me as a, as a memoirist. And <laughs> they really thought, they said to me straight up, listen, your voice sounds like a voiceover. It's a little too <laughs> bloggy. Uh, this is a book. You got to take uh... it seriously. We want you to be more earnest in your writing and more sincere. We want you to add scenes and we want you to add dialogue. And don't tell me that, you know, Ron is a douchebag. I want you to illustrate Ron being a douchebag in yes. the book as you hear the common advice, like, you know, show, don't tell. Yeah. And so I took it as an opportunity to grow as a writer and learn and humbled myself to be like, yes, okay, you guys are the experts, you know. And did that thing that we all do when we start something new. And we're like, well, what do I know? Who am I to say? I don't know. And I did that. And I did that. And I did that. And I rewrote those sample chapters. It's around the last time I counted 17 times. Three different sample chapters. 17 times. Around and around and around again. And every time I'd send them back, it just got more and more muddled. It didn't sound like me anymore. Where was my voice? It was really strange. I sounded like I was trying too hard. Mm-hmm. Any, I don't know. It just, it, it was weird. But finally, someone who was very high up there gave the green light, and they're like, "Okay, now we're ready to send it to Penguin." We send it to that same acquisitions editor, who had contacted me a year prior. 
Mm-hmm. And she wrote back in a, like 72 hours, like three days later. And she was like, listen, <laughs> I really like you, but what the fuck is this? Oh, wow. What is this girl? Like, this isn't you at all. Where did you go? This isn't <laughs> your voice. This is completely different from your blog and the sound. Yeah. Of it. And I like the sound of it. So where's that? And, and like, that's oh, when I, God. yep. I had to say to my agency, you know what? I, I appreciate your guidance. Um, but we tried it your way, and now we're going to try it mine. So mm-hmm. I told the publisher to give me a week, and I'm going to go back, and I'm just going to write this the way that I would have written it three years ago, and yeah. I just writing it myself. Um, and that's it. I'm going to write the sample chapters, rewrite the table of contents, et cetera, et cetera. One week later, I had a $200,000 book deal. That's wow. amazing. Follow your freaking voice, guys. Yeah. You know, do it. Follow it. You trust, trust yourself. Trust yourself and well, who you are. I mean, I think that's such an incredible lesson for, I mean, so many times, I mean, it just comes down to that, right? If you don't trust yourself, you're not going to get ahead. And generally when you trust yourself and whatever that little voice is that tells you something is right or wrong or good is right. You know, I don't, I don't think I know anybody who has such bad taste or such bad morals or such bad, you know, direction that if they, if they really listen to themselves, they're not going to, that they will do, but they'll do well. Yes. That's what I'm trying to say. So, I mean, so um, many of us fall into that, like, well, who am I to do this? I don't really know anything. Yeah. I mean, but, but you actually do. (laughs) Exactly. And I think, you know, for me, this was really, kind of extrapolating on this was kind of my big takeaway from the book was that, you know, A, you already know what you're doing. B, just ask if you can help and jump in and do it. And that's been many ways how I've built my career. So I've clearly that really resonated with me. It's always great to have somebody telling you that you're doing it right. But also it's that show up and be consistent because I know going into this, I was like, okay, where is Ash going to stand on what I call the hustle wars, which is people who are like, no, don't hustle. Just let it happen. And then the people who are like 14 hours a day for 14 years and it's going to be awesome. And and it was really interesting. And I loved kind of hearing about how you arrived at that mix of memoir and business, because having read your newsletter over time, it was interesting to kind of lay that reading over top of the book and see, oh, okay, I now see kind of this, this journey. Um, but the thing that really resonated with me is that you said you just set a deadline for yourself to show up and write twice a week. And that was your job to publish that newsletter twice a week. Oh yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, you show up, you be nice and you do it consistently and in your own voice. And that's, that's success. And I love that it doesn't have to be about working 14 hours a day. It just has to be about being consistent on the timeline that works for you. I think so. And, you know, I'm really not the most consistent person in the whole wide world, but I'm consistent enough where it's definitely like, the, you know, twice a week, every week. It doesn't happen yeah. every day. I don't, you know, listen, like I I was not doing, I still am not. My Instagram following is weak. Like all that <laughs> stuff. I'm not focused there. We've talked yeah. about why. I mean, yeah. I have certain feelings about that. I like Instagram, but did, I mean, from a business strategy perspective, do I give a flying fuck uh, about my followers? No, no. Yeah. Every, everything I do happens on the back end. But yeah, it's too hard to be doing all the 14 hours. Like, who wants to do all of that? Yeah, no. but it seems like Not you've me. cultivated that by tracking your time and doing some of these things and being really intentional and Shay and I have talked about this in previous podcast episodes that there's so much people that are like, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. But then if you actually look at what they're doing, it's like 10 minutes of scrolling on Instagram and then going mm-hmm. to lunch and like doing all this other like there. If you're really intentional with your time, you end up freeing up more time to actually do the things that you want to be doing. And most people aren't actually as busy as that they say that they are. And if they are, then that's a really big problem and they're going to get burnt out. And I think the other point going along with that you told this incredible story about the book deal, but that took place over the course of multiple years. Plus you had all of the blog and all of the credibility that those people were contacting you over the course of years. And then it took a long time to actually physically write the book. Once you got the deal, like this is a long journey. So even though you had the success of people coming to you and it seems like a fairy tale, it's built on, this consistency in a lot of work 
too. Why? And maintaining that that voice throughout and not I feel like there's a tendency with writers or people that are content creators of some sort to like constantly be reinventing themselves all the time or being like, well, this isn't working. I tried it for a quarter. Let's go to something else. And it's very hard for the casual observer to keep up with that. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's where you've been Mm. successful with that. Thank you. Yeah. You'll notice I don't have a lot of shiny object syndrome when it comes to my business. I built a business on an email list exclusively because most of the time I'm banned from advertising. So I can't, use that i had to again get creative like what do you mean banned from advertising because of your press career no because it's called the middle finger project so Uh, twitter won't let me advertise for example like i can't like it's offensive to the general well that makes it even more i know that happened with the guys we fuck podcast that was like a big thing that itunes wouldn't carry them for a while that's a podcast oh you would love it i can't believe you don't even know what it is well so they it's like seven they've been doing it for like seven years and the first like six years are on itunes for free and then they just went to luminary which is a subscription service but you can listen to like the first the first six years will take you a long time but it's great it's (laughs) it started as two ladies interviewing men that they had slept with and it's kind of evolved into more than what? that. Oh, the, the guys are on the show? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. It's brilliant. Wow. Okay, yeah. so they were banned too? Well, they they kind of started, they started out and it re- really resonated with people. And when they tried to put it, take it from SoundCloud to iTunes, iTunes said no. And they ended up having like a letter writing campaign literally to iTunes to be like, we're not offended by this. We want it. And then iTunes agreed to let them on with like the asterisks and like the symbols and stuff. Um, mm. But it took, they were exclusively on SoundCloud, like no mainstream podcast platform for like a year. Oh, wow. So, Unbelievable. Yeah. And I had the same issue with the Middle Finger Project originally when we went to apply for United States Trademark. Mm. Uh, the trademark office denied our original application and they denied it on the grounds that it was scandalous material. And then they quoted um, Urban Dictionary oh. and Wikipedia no. with the middle finger and being like, see, this is a gesture that's like, it's insulting. <laughs> oh my God. I literally that's insane. Had lawyers. Yeah, I know. So, I had lawyers arguing back and, and making a counter argument to say, in context, it's not insulting at all. So that's yeah. really offensive. And we won. And now we have the trademark. That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. I love that. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. But I guess if you, know, if you have a trademark, Twitter doesn't care. Those guys are like, no, not advertising this. Uh, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. 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 So I built I built the entire business on the back end on, on via email. Like You don't see me having usually all these shiny shops and things for sale like on the front end. Mm-hmm. It always happens on the back. Very cool. So of all the work that you've done over the years, do you have a particular project that's been your favorite or do you feel like you're living your favorite right now? Well, I mean, this, this book, you ask any writer in the street, we're the most cliche gang in the world. Yeah. It's everyone's <laughs> dream. I am no exception to that. I grew up going to Barnes and Noble and sitting, of course, in, you know, in Barnes and Noble reading books. My mom would go to AC Moore and my dad would go to Dick's Sporting Goods. And that was mm-hmm. kind of our thing. Um, but I, you know, yeah, this this book is definitely by far the most meaningful. People have been asking me a lot, why did I write a book? What do I want from it? What's my yeah, five-year yeah. plan? Like, what's the the ROI I want from the book? But this was different than the ROI I expect from my other activities when I'm doing things for the company and I'm tracking my time, even though I did track my time for this. Mm-hmm. But this little book, I mean, this to me represents nothing more than options. I have more options today than I did yesterday now that I wrote this book. Yeah. Um, you know you know who I'm going to be on an interview with? Jenny McCarthy. Uh-huh. Jenny, oh my gosh. Like, talk to me because yeah. I wrote the book. Shay and Maddie and Jenny McCarthy. Yeah. <laughs> Look we at all us. want to talk to Ash. <laughs> Isn't that like, like – That is crazy. Like that's awesome. And that's why I do these things because that gives me more options. And I think that's why we should do anything. For me, it's all about being able to decide how you want to spend your next hour. Most of us are so used to being corralled and managed and and and, and have our time decided for us all the time. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't want to live that way. So doing things like this for me is the best. I will say, though, I've been working on a secret side project. 
Ooh. Can you, you tell hear, us what heard it, it is here or first, no? kids. Yes. Oh, it's not really a well, secret. what you can tell us. It's not really a secret, but since I do spend half of my life living in Costa Rica, mm-hmm. uh, we have a place there. My adorable fiance is there. Um, I couldn't help it. I was like a kid in a candy store when I realized that I could start the coolest tourism site, content-based tourism site to Costa Rica because Gosh. every website there was made in 1994 <laughs> by some guy named like Keith who taught himself how to code. Like, you know, he has no oh idea. What he's not doing. a good scene. No. no. And every photograph up there is like a, a picture of a green and zip lining. It's so generic. Mm-hmm. I saw the opportunity and I had to snatch it up. We have the coolest brand that was built, fresh, cool colors. And all of me, I've written like a hundred posts. And that's what I do in my spare time because I don't have to think so much about it. It's not yeah. like profound ideas. It's like, yo, if you want to take your kids to Costa Rica, do not go to this beach. Or- oh my gosh. <laughs> But I I'm love having it. so much fun with it. We're going to automate the, you know, the stuff on the back end and sell some digital products related to it. And I, I'm having a blast. That now, can we see it incredible. yet? Is it live or is it? Not it's yet? not live. It's okay. called, It's called With Love from Costa Rica, but it won't go live until after the book launch because like, <gasps> hashtag. That would be too much. Yeah. 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 Too much. And we'll say oh again, because we're getting close to our time that the book comes out February 11th. Yeah. Which is very exciting, right in time for Valentine's Day. Mm, and people yeah. can... Valentine's Day. I have to talk to your people about if this is coming out before or after. But where can people find it? What is what is the stuff before we go into our segments slash ask I mean, final questions? Yeah. Listen, the book will always be for sale at themiddlefingerproject.org. I think that's the best bet because there you're going to find all the other stuff too. Like the quiz, should you quit your job? Where yes. I've given a lot of thought to this quiz. It's really insightful. Helps you think through the cost of staying in your job, which usually mm-hmm. isn't something people consider. Um, we'll have the Quit Your Job store, and we'll have the book, and you can buy it at any major retailer around the world. Barnes yes. and Noble and Amazon and Target and Apple Books. And, and I should Walmart say too, we touched a little bit about it, but you have a ton of digital resources, courses, things like that um, on the site, which you talk about in the book of finding a revenue stream where you can put content out there but you're not having to be physically present all the time as a business strategy which I think is really brilliant and you also have a lot of good templates and stuff like that like actual businessy stuff like Shay and I when Mm -hmm. we did the contract for our partnership for this podcast we used one of your contracts. I use those all the time for everything it is the best like 300 bucks I've maybe ever spent in my life. I'm so, so glad. Those yeah. are all going now in the Quit Your Job store under the section for people who are ready to start freelancing and selling their oh, ideas. Yeah. So They're great. Really oh, good. I'm so excited. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so glad those are useful. Oh my yes. gosh. All the time. Even that is an exercise in thinking through your partnership and what things, you know, mm-hmm. what things can happen and what do we need to account for now before things yeah. get weird and emotional. Yeah. Uh, yes. I, awesome. I was very in- smart. It, it, again, just shocks me how many people don't have contracts or don't have these things laid out. And I'm like, I learned from Ash that <laughs> you have to have a contract. I mean, I probably wouldn't have done it otherwise. And I yeah. would have. Or think about your taxes. That was a big one, too. Yeah. Freelancers don't think about their taxes. Mm-hmm. It's the worst. It's hard. But that's that's what I like to do. I like I like taking those topics and making them fun to talk about yeah. and just like, OK, how can I take this topic and just have some fun with it? Yeah. Let's have some fun with our taxes today. Contracts, but it's it's great, and you know, having me walk you through a couple of different contracts and be like, so here's why you need this clause. No mm-hmm. one ever thought of that, but guess what? I've been doing this long enough to know that eventually you're gonna get a client, and that's gonna come up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, awesome. <laughs> that's great. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, thank you. Very cool. All right, so are we ready for our final segment? We are now moving into the archery range. Uh, we will ask you a series of rapid fire questions. Uh, answer with whatever comes to mind first. If we say favorite, it doesn't have to be your most favorite of all time. It can be a top thing that you love. So are you ready? Fair. Yes. I love this part. This is cool. Okay. okay. Go, Maddie. Favorite book? Eat, Pray, Love. No. Ew. Generic. I can't Whatever. say that. Elizabeth Gilbert is a goddess. So okay. you know what? It's totally fine. Well, I'm telling... No. I have three. <laughs> Great. Give it. Give it. No rules here. Go. Go. <laughs> I want to hear your other two. The other one is, I mean, my favorite first book forever was Wally Lamb's book. Um, um, oh, my God. The character is Dolores. What the hell is wrong with me? 
Okay, wait. The other one is by Elliot Lebo called Tell Them Who I Am, and it's about homelessness. I really love that book. But uh, Wally Lamb's She's Come Undone. That's the name mm-hmm. of the book. That's a phenomenal book. Yes, that was my right. original. But Eat, Pray, Love, you know, because it's, it's good stuff. All right, favorite movie? Spaceballs, the movie! Spaceballs, the rocket ship! I like I, I, I'm frozen in time from like 1989 or something. I stopped watching TV, and that's the only one I know. Oh, perfect. Well, great segue. What is your favorite TV show? Outlander. Ooh. I love Scotland. So good. I'm also reading the books now, and they're. Are you? Notch. I've not yeah. read the books. Ooh. I was doing I a ridiculous. Oh, many years ago, I read, and then they like. I like you know you have to then catch up so now I'm rereading them a decade later and it's they're even better I feel like I can appreciate them better now I was not really familiar with Outlander like I I've seen it out in the ether but I was recently well it wasn't that recently it was over Labor Day I was on I was in a cabin with some girlfriends and they were obsessed with Outlander and they were like you have to get caught up you have to like read the synopsis because they were watching like the most recent season and so I just put it kind of on uh just like a loop and I just fast forwarded to all the sex scenes and then fast forwarded <laughs> again. So that's how I caught up on it. <laughs> Crazily so enough, you get a lot of the plot from doing that in that show, but yeah, they're very chatty when they're boning. Yes. Brilliant idea. I love it. Yeah. I don't know what it is with me. It's, I have a weird, it doesn't make sense because I'm very forward thinking and modern working on the internet, all that stuff. And then I go to the UK and I'm like, Oh, architecture from the 1400s. Like, I just, I don't know. I don't know. It's It's a very, like, a lot of modern themes. Oh, your turn, Shay. I like it. Okay. Favorite childhood snack? Uh, American cheese, one piece, folded over into four, and then put on one cracker. Mm. That's how I got fat. I love that. So specific. (laughs) No. Perfect. One cracker. You can't get fat off one cracker. Uh, but, but when you put one slice of American That's cheese true. on one per cracker, That's true. like 10 of them. I didn't think about how big an American cheese <laughs> yeah, slice actually American is. American cheese is true. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really oh funny. Uh, favorite yeah. year of school? Or if they all sucked, that can be your answer too. Actually, they were all fantastic. Love it. I love it. Most people yeah, are I like, l- school sucked. I loved high school. I loved it very, very much. I don't even have a single favorite year. I loved them all. Yeah. all every single one. That's awesome. It. Favorite place you visited that you haven't lived. So you can't say Costa Rica or Philadelphia or Scranton. <laughs> or, oh, darn. Jeez. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say... Uh, it's hard because I yeah. lived in all the ones that are my favorites because that's what, right? Like, it's like, well, yeah, yeah. I really like it here. I'm going to go live here. But yeah. I did say I like Scotland a lot. I will say we go every year. It's becoming a thing. Perfect. I don't know what's wrong with us. Oh, I love it. I, I'm, I'm really obsessed Getting closer with closer to having a third locale, Philadelphia, Costa Rica, and Scotland. Do you know that I am officially a lady of Scotland because Ooh. I am now a landowner in Scotland? Oh, that's fun. Congrats. Uh, <laughs> No, it's because they have this really amazing, such marketing minds these people are. They were Mm -hmm. preserving a bunch of land and they decided to sell off like, you know, the little tiny, like one foot by one foot plots to save the land. Because technically if you own it, then no one can come in and take it. Yeah. Oh, that's genius. Carlos bought me a bunch of plots and surprised me with it one day. And I was like, what? But they literally have paperwork there. You can pass it on to your kids. Like, it's all there. It's like, you can call yourself a lady. I'm like, well, I am definitely going to do that. Lady Ash. I love it. That's awesome. I was recently talking to a guy named Sean Ogle, who is in our space, in our world. He's amazing. Funny as hell. And we were were busting balls one day. And I was like, it's Lady Ash Amberger to you. And I said the same story, and he was like, what? That's crazy. He goes, but you know what's even crazier? And then there's, like, this moment of silence, and then he sends me a picture of his certificate of land ownership. Oh, no. Scotland. I'm like, get One out up of job. here. So is he a lord, then? So oh. you can also be a lord. I'm pretty sure they did this on the Kardashian with Scott Disick. Did <laughs> That's how he's the Lord Disick, in case anyone was wondering. No, I can't. I'm going to just send it to everyone. That should be a part of my book somehow. I don't know. We're going to fashion something. A sequel. I love it. A sequel. I'm going to like, I'm just going to send out 
like you can buy like a page of my book and then like the next oh. the next printing will have your name printed at the bottom instead of the page oh. the Foo Fighters did this really That's cool cute. thing it must have been I don't know like in 2006 2007 where they recorded an album on tape and then they cut up the tape and they put it in all of the CDs. So if you bought the CD, you got like a little piece of tape, like an inch long, that was like the original tape of them recording the album. Wow. wow. So, so I this- have like one like drum beat or something worth of tape. Oh my gosh. So you oh, could totally ridiculous. do something cool like that. I don't know. That's yeah. Ideas. This is ridiculous. And I love it. That. Yeah. Love it. I love it. Well, this ah. is great. Thank you so Yay. much for taking the time to chat with us. This has got to be one of my favorite podcasts I've been on, and I've done almost 100 at this point. Oh, my God. That, that makes, makes so us feel very good. We're Thank such you, big Ash. fans, as you can tell, because yeah, we talk about you so much on this podcast, and we use all of your resources. Thank you. Thanks. But really, you guys are rocking it. I love the entire concept of the podcast. I love what you're doing with it. I love who it's serving. I just I love that you're showing up and doing this work every single day. Thank you for doing that, and thank you for being so generous to have me here and spend all this time with me and just chit-chatting away. This is the best. Oh, amazing. Really our pleasure. Yes. Yeah. Well, once all again, right. before we let you go, book February 11th. Everyone read it. It's amazing. Shay and I both read it. We can attest. It's so good. It's yeah. awesome. So everyone go and buy it and check out yeah. Ash's stuff online. Exactly. Did they send you one copy or two? Well, um, they sent us one because <laughs> I was being greedy. Well, Maddie took the the whatever the hard copy and I was like no I want to start reading it right now so I'm just going to download it from NetGalley but then I'm like dumb and I couldn't figure out how to download it from NetGalley so yeah I'm probably going to also go out and buy a hard copy once it's uh, I actually already so before we even scheduled this podcast like the day that you emailed being like I wrote a book here's the pre-order I pre-ordered it so I also have a physical (laughs) copy coming (laughs) oh yeah Give it to somebody. Give it yes, away on your podcast. Yes, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, we totally could. We, well, yeah. we've been talking for, like, literally almost three years at this point of doing a camp adulthood book club. So oh, maybe it's our first one. Yeah. Oh, I love it. First one. I'd be so happy. Done. You've heard I it here first, done. folks. Yes. Awesome. You heard it here first. Yeah. Give it away. Give it away on the podcast. We can even talk about if you wanted to just do get, get a few of them. Penguin will absolutely do that. And we can just get them to you so you can give them away. Oh my god. Yeah, Amazing. let's do it. All right. Well, thank oh you gosh, so thank much, you. Ash. This was incredible. Yay! You're awesome. All right. you so Campers, much. we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com. And you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at camp.